Thank you all for coming out. Um, I have the uh, difficult task of covering 300 years in, in about a half hour. Uh, it ain't gonna happen. Not not in a thorough, detailed way, but in a in a sort of overall understanding and appreciation of what could have taken place. I'll try to do my best. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the book by William Z. Foster, which is the basic uh, text that I'm using to write, and, and it's a very thorough history, including a lot of data and statistics. You can see from the Xerox pieces that you, you've been given, but lots of uh, good, good data and pieces. Like, who knows that the average slave trader, when they went to Africa, they only paid $50 for a slave, and when they got back, they sold it. They give me a thousand percent in, uh, profit in many cases, and um, it's in the book. Things, oh, just just marvelous things uh, uh, that uh, show the inner arguments that went about in the Congress, in the uh, Constitutional Congress, and uh, and what in fact, what what in fact in a in a global and and in a uh, historic sense was really taking place with the system of slavery. Um, so, um, you know that there was ancient slavery in Rome and Greece, and uh, also the Aztecs had slaves, the Incas had, had slaves, China was slaves in China. Slaves built the, the pyramids. Um, they also built the wall in Wall Street, and, and they built the White House. Uh, Slavery, slavery has played a huge role in the development of this country and in the world. But ancient slavery was one thing. What we were experiencing in our country and in this hemisphere was modern, what they call modern slavery, which was slavery that came about at a critical time of development of uh, capitalism. It therefore, was really um, a capitalist project. I don't know how to put it. It really, it really was invented and and, and encouraged and built to further the development of, of capitalism. Not only here, but in England, Scotland, all, all over Europe, France, Greece, all over Portugal, all over uh, the use of human slavery to foster wealth uh, and to build. Fundamental, the fundamentals of the basic economies around the world was a common practice. But usually, this place was a colony of uh, England, and usually when they would settle an area, they would, uh, they would go to, they would, so we say, they would, they would enforce the indigenous people to serve as their labor. So, uh, Australia was the uh, uh, the Aborigines, and uh, here it was the Native American Indians. But they couldn't do it with the Native American Indians. Uh, this was their land. They were um, uh, not inclined to be stationed in some plantation, picking cotton or whatever. They were in a hunting and gathering stage, many of them, and they just didn't fit. So the policy of the Indians became what? Genocide. 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 Yeah. And what they did to the Indians was 
another crime against humanity, including uh, spreading disease among them, uh, hunting them down, murdering and destroying whole, whole tribal groups, um, leaving them um, without the land that they own, that they were their land. And, but they did try to enslave some at first. And it didn't work, as I said. But that meant that the Native American Indians not only didn't like these people who had come and settled and wanted to enslave them, uh, they were ready to do war with them. And the African slaves who came were able to get away from slavery because of the Native American Indians offered them a place, the Maroons, they call them, some of the intermarried in some cases. And that's how they got all over this hemisphere. From um, the first, the first uh, presence of uh, uh, slaves, African slaves on this continent, uh, in this country, was in uh, 1526. That's before Columbus and all that. Portuguese were way ahead of everybody in, 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 in getting involved in international slave trade. This was the Spanish, rather, in this case, explorer Lucas Vasquez de Arion who, with a group of uh, white settlers, settled in and tried to set up a colony at the mouth of the P.D. River in South Carolina. Well, the Africans who had been dragged there forcibly and so forth, first chance they got, they rebelled and ran away. So much for his little colony. And because they didn't have people they could exploit and labor for labor, these uh, Spanish uh, Explorers got back in their boat and left, but they left the Africans here. So actually, they were actually actually Africans on this in this part of the world um, way before Columbus and all that. In fact, uh, in in 1526, that would make them a hundred years before the settlement of um, of Virginia, the Virginia colony. So when people say, "Well, you guys are latecomers coming to this country," And, uh, you know, uh, when you get the hang of it, everything will be all right. You know, well, you got to figure out how, you know, that whole thing about, well, the Italians came in, they did well, these ones came in, did, did well, and so forth. So you'll do okay after a while. But we were here before almost anybody. We ain't doing well. Well, uh, I think that's related to an attempt to hide the structural racism and oppression that was visited upon, upon us as a people which held us back, not ourselves. It wasn't our fault, not us. It was the oppressor. Um, moving on. From, from the 16th to the 19th century, over 12 million Africans were kidnapped and forcibly brought here to the Western Hemisphere to face a lifetime of uh, cruel slavery. Of those 12 million, most ended up in English colonies and other colonies, Dutch colonies, so forth, in the Caribbean and Central and South America. About 680,000 were ended up here in uh, the 13 colonies. By 1860, which was a year before the beginning of the Civil War, on the eve of it, the slave population had grown to four million. Was that 680,000 reproduced and were actually bred in many cases. 
And uh, out of a total population of 31 million, 4 million were African slaves. Uh, they were more than 10% of the population then. Marx, Marx said that capitalism uh, came on the scene uh, dripping with blood. And modern slavery, and that's how he described what it was. It was a capitalist creation, as I said. The Western Hemisphere colonies were fertile land. This, this country was fertile land. And the main, the main uh, production in this economy was agriculture. So you needed a workforce. I mentioned about the Native American Indians. But did you know that there was uh, the import of, of large numbers of white slaves from Europe? You know, they call them indentured servants, though, because when they came, um, first of all, where did they come from? <laughs> Many of them were people who had been arrested or whatever, either framed up, we don't even know, uh, you know, put in prison and said, okay, you can either spend six years in this Harvard prison or go to the colony and work your, and work your way out. And after you go there for a period of time, uh, you will be free. Uh, to go forward, but you won't get paid, you just have to be, you'll be a, a worker, you'll get a job, and you'll have to be a slave. And a number, I mean, large numbers of whites uh, from Europe uh, were forced into that situation. And some uh, weren't criminals at all, they just happened to be out in the street at night, and then literally, they had bands of thugs who went around, whacked them in the head, or got them drunk, and they woke up and they were at sea. What's this? <laughs> They didn't know where they were going, they didn't know what was going on or whatever, and they ended up in the God the Boat, you ended your servant, and they had to work several years. Some as much as six years on, uh, usually agricultural work, and at the end of it, in some states, like in Virginia, for example, they had a rule, when you finish, you get not only a piece of land, but you get a plow, and the workings to start your own, these folks, a lot of them were the beginning of our, our white working class, or working class at the early stage. And so when the first Africans came, not all of them, but some of them were also made indentured uh, servants. And so I always wondered, okay, we had slavery, but in history there's all these freed people. Who are they? And they were essentially people who may have come early and been in the end had that indentured thing, got that land, and got the start of something. And uh, in fact, um, grew and became a, 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 big, a large group of people, although they were, they were more slaves than freed blacks. Um, well, those um, freed people became a problem for the slaveholders. Why? Because when they would get themselves settled, get a family, raise children, they set up their own schools. Some of them became successful for them, you know, and, and relatives. Some, some they didn't come with, with at the time they called rich. They still faced discrimination and racism. They were not equal, but they, uh, in fact, had a chance to work hard and achieve something, and to get a standing in society. They started newspapers, <clears throat> they formed their own churches, they had uh, all kinds of civic organizations and stuff, and the main thing, though, 
is that they became an organized voice against slavery itself, because they obviously could do what the slaves couldn't do. And so the slave owners said, wait a minute, we are creating our own uh, downfall here. And they passed laws in, in key states, Virginia is one of them, and in, in, in 1661, the assembly of the colony passed a law uh, continuing indentured servitude for whites, but that black slaves will be slaves for life. And that became uh, the rule, dripping with blood. Why did, why did uh, this horrible the system, the middle passage where, you know, uh, the slave was given a six foot by long or two foot wide slab to, to sleep on in, in the bottom. And, and, you know, you might think, well, maybe they had 30 slaves. Hundreds of slaves were in some of those ships. They weren't the biggest ships either, but they packed them in. And no sanitation. Anybody know how long the trip was back then to come across the Atlantic? Three months? No, no, not that long. But <coughs> well, it depends on the In the book. It on the weather. Say it again? It depends on the weather, but, you know. Yeah. So we maybe from from three to six weeks, and not only that, it wasn't just the weather. I mean, some of the ships didn't make it because of, of the storms that run through. They didn't have radar. They you know they were just coming. But on top of that, there were also pirates who would attack these ships, and uh, you know mechanical problems, all kinds of stuff. But most of them made it. But you know it was a tough thing. But that wasn't true about the Africa. When they got sick on that boat, they were thrown overboard and they got sick. Dysentery, uh, there was this eye disease once that Foster mentions that everybody on the boat got, including the crew. They were actually flying the trip, uh, uh, guiding the boat blind that nobody could see, but after some days, you, you got your sight back. I forget what the disease is. It's probably still around. And, huh? Yeah, that's what's in the book, yeah. I, I, yeah well, you, you, you're pronouncing I was scared to. <laughs> um, and and um, the, those who didn't make it, thrown overboard. Obviously, with no sanitation, they said you could smell a slave, a slave ship coming for miles. And on top of that, um, if they ever, especially after slavery was ruled, uh, slave trade was ruled illegal, and they had the Navy was, was uh, patrolling the seas, if they saw a Navy ship coming, all of them went overboard. Slave ships would attract sharks. Literally, whole herds of sharks would follow them. And unfortunately, a lot of the people were thrown overboard. Men, women, children. Some of the women were pregnant on, on this day. You know, I, I don't want to like chop nobody, but can you imagine the inhumanity to do that to somebody? And I say, were they evil white folks? I mean, yeah, they were evil, but it was deeper than that. Uh, they were driven by the drive for profit and by what they could find as um, the development of, of the Western world. Uh, this is coming about at the times when, when you had early, early uh, industry, commerce and so forth. And this is an era, we're moving towards an era where the transition is being made from uh, old feudal and uh, 
semi-feudal uh, systems to uh, a, a capitalist system. And the wealth of slavery served as the foundation, uh, the economic foundation, to build for this country and actually for much of Europe, industrial and commercial, really giant and powerful countries like the one we live in. These people were racist, there's no question about it, but they were also capitalists that created what was the most brutal, violent, barbaric system of racial oppression in modern times. Perhaps even ever, because if you remember the David Walker appeal, David Walker wrote a piece on uh, comparing ancient slavery to, to, to modern slavery. And in it, after his study, he showed that modern slavery, ancient slavery, the slaves could actually get married. Uh, maybe not everywhere, but generally, they could get married. After a period of time, they may have to get permission. In fact, indentured servants who came had to get permission to get married, but they could get married, but not the African. They could get married, they could have children, they could have families, and they could work their way out of slavery. It wasn't a lifetime sentence. They were, it was okay for them to learn and read and write. Um, they didn't have an easy life. Don't, don't get me wrong. They were slaves and they were brutalized and so forth. I was thinking of movie Gladiator. But <coughs> there's some truth to that. I mean, uh, they, were actually, they were actually enslaved to go out and fight and get killed, you know. Uh, what kind of life is that? But, uh, you know, in, in ancient Greece and Rome, some of the most brilliant people were slaves. They were the poets and philosophers. So they were allowed to learn and read and write and so forth. But what about you? And this is, this is I think, has a lot to do with the slavery uh, forged onto capitalism. I'll tell you why. The slaves um, here could not learn to read or write. Illegal. Now, some did. But it was illegal for them to learn to read or write. They could not marry. They couldn't have a family. Now, some did. But they, the law was that they were not supposed to. They had no parental rights on their children. The whole concept of being sold down the river actually is a, is a saying that came from them literally taking children and families and breaking them up and sending, sending them down the river to another to be sold to somebody else. That's where that, that phrase came from. They, uh, they had no health care really. So it was, among them there were those who were midwives and they could do things and so forth. But, uh, and I was down at the Smithsonian Institute and they had this whole display on slavery. If you ever get a chance, just go down and see it. Because it's in the words of the slaves. Also in the 1930s during the WPA, there was a project that went around and interviewed. There were still some left, people who had lived through slavery and, and, and they uh, have uh, their discussion of what life was really like. So it's not, not a mystery. We know what it was like. And I was struck by this phrase that one slave said. He said, I work seven days a week. From you can see to you can't see. That's what he described. In the, in the morning when the sun just come up until it was dark, you work. You work through all kinds of weather. And they got snow down here too. I don't know what you do in the snow. But they work all kinds of weather, the rain or whatever. The children work. The women worked while they were pregnant, some of them delivered right out, you know. Uh, I, uh, it's just the stark e evilness and, 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 and so forth of it. But I always say this, 
we, we, all of us, on one degree or another, are related or have some had some relationship to that 12 million that made it over. Um, and those African American people, African descent, uh, who have um, who have roots that go all the way back to that, and all of us pretty much do. Whoever our ancestors were, they were tough. They were incredible because they survived what you ain't supposed to survive. Uh, there's some sense of pride that we were able to fight it through and be here. And and then they said that labor for a field hand was only about seven or eight years that you could do really hard field work. That's how bad it was. And uh, I don't know uh, how they managed to survive, but they did. They had spirit. They had a fighting spirit. They had their religion. You see, the slave religion, even though the master gave them Christianity, here you can add a, uh, behave yourself, this is what you ought to listen to. But that their concept of Christianity and their concept of religion was one of rebellion, fighting. More like what you know, Martin Luther King's concept of, of, of religion. And and so, you know, Nat Turner, this great militant uh, slave anti slavery fighter, he led a, a huge rebellion. Uh, and but it, it failed. But he was a minister. He would teach he would preach every morning. The spirituals, swing low, sweet chariot, and coming for the carry you home signal. And they're telling people how to hide and duck them when they escape, which so many did. Um, but dripping with blood. And the profits made from slavery were dripping with blood. I mentioned that in 18th century, uh, slaves uh, from Africa, in Africa cost $50. When they got to the West Indies, they didn't get anywhere from 400 or whatever quarter. One captain, this in the book, said that he, even if he lost, two out of three of his of slaves coming over, he said he'd be, still be a rich man when he got here. That's what this thing was. I went to Glasgow, Scotland last year, and I did the same kind of talking I did all over the United Kingdom. I went all over England and up to Scotland, Wales, and made the speech, and, and pretty much covered this kind of stuff. And um, in Scotland, one guy came up to me after and said, you know, we have, you know that we have uh, uh, a museum on, on uh, black, on, the, on, on slavery, anti-slavery movement in this area. I said, wow, that's great. And he took me up there and showed me. He had a lot of good stuff. They put out a little magazine on ethnicity up there in Glasgow. And he said, the richest family in, in Scotland is called the Cunninghams. And he said, I want you to come outside and look. And I'm kind of saying, I said, see that house way up there? It's not even a house, it's like a castle. It's now the, the museum of the museum of, of Glasgow. It was the house of the Cunninghams. Everything up there is named Cunningham. They made their money on slavery. When Frederick Douglass came into Glasgow, I'm walking down the street and I see the street, Frederick Douglass Avenue, whoa, in Scotland, in, uh, in, what, in uh, Glasgow. And uh, they said he made one of the greatest speeches right out here in this square <laughs> to thousands of workers about what slavery meant. And his main thesis was that slavery was against the U.S. Constitution, which 
have all these wonderful things about human rights and freedom and all that. And he argued that. And that was not accepted by the establishment. But Frederick Douglass made that speech there. He also made it other places. He made it there. And I went down to a place called um, Newcastle. You know, coal to Newcastle. So it's, a, it's a coal town. Um, and right near there's a place uh, called Tynes, something on Tynes. And I figured that's close to my name. It's probably where our slave master came from. It's T-Y-N-E, without, I'm T-Y-N-E-R, so I'm figuring out, yeah, that's, that's what it came from. The lady who paid for uh, Frederick Douglass's uh, slave, to get him out of slavery, lived in that place, that town, that town. A Scottish woman uh, who was moved by his speaking and was moved by the struggle against it, so on. The whole world was turned against slavery. The British ended slave trade earlier, Slaves, uh, slave, slavery was outlawed in uh, Mexico. And you should know that nobody already talks about it, but Gerald Horn wrote a book about it, about how many slaves, when they escaped, they didn't try to go all the way north. They went south. They went to Mexico, you know, where slavery was, was eliminated. And at one point, one president of Mexico, this is a little further along in history, invited African people of African Americans to come down there and form a colony. There's an area. In, in Mexico, which is predominantly black. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm told that it was in that book anyway. Um, I mentioned that right here in New York City, the slaves built uh, the Wall Street. They built a lot of the uh, famous structures around here. When they built that, they were building a building down uh, uh, on Wall Street, a big bank building or something, one of those 30 story things. And when they went to dig to excavate, they discovered all these bones. And they were actually, the old building that was there was sitting on top of a, of a, a slave graveyard. You, you all know that story here, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the anthropologists and geologists stopped them from going further. They took, collected all the bones and they studied them. And they, see, these were not agricultural slaves. These were were just hard labor slaves. And they discovered all kinds of injuries that people had were suffering because they were carrying heavy weights, including children. They found a skeleton of a 14-year-old child whose bones were all screwed up, all distorted because he was some, some kind of a pack mule. They were putting stuff on him to carry and so forth. Am I getting too graphic with this stuff? I, mean, I think we, you know, we shouldn't let them forget this stuff. I don't know. And you know, after the invention of the cotton gin, which in Aptheker's book, he writes uh, that the cotton gin was actually invented in a crude form. The first drawing was by, a, by a, a, a highly skilled slave did the first drawing of it. But Eli, what's his name? Whitney, right? Whitney. Yeah. Was it? Eli Whitney? Whitney, yes. Yeah. Eli Whitney, uh, in fact, took it and developed the sophisticated thing. Now, the cotton gin, Actually, slavery was kind of waning, some people say. I don't know if that's true or not, but they were. Some people say that, those historians. But when, when they found, you know, they was living on tobacco, indigo, sugar from the, from the Caribbean, uh, they, um, uh, and, and some degree cotton, and uh, what, you know, all the goods that the world wanted, and this is a very fertile area of the world, and so forth. Um, but when cotton, when they were able to separate the ball from the stem of cotton, 
and therefore made it possible to produce a huge quantity of cotton. It was such a comfortable and, and, and wonderful fabric. The whole world wanted cotton. And so cotton became king. And once cotton became king, the slave owners were just raking in the dough. They were, they were just pouring in the money. And they, as far as they were concerned, as much land as they could get their whole hands on and plant cotton, the more they, it was unlimited. They actually had a plan, or well, pushed a plan, that they wanted from the, from the southeast all the way over to the Pacific, which were mostly territories then, to be a slave state. And that's west. But going south, they wanted to go all the way down to Brazil, where there was slaves down there, but to do cotton all the way around there. That's how, that's the nightmare that they came up with uh, in order to further their wealth and uh, power and so forth. Well, uh, in time, people questioned the moral uh, issue of slavery. It was immoral. How could you treat human beings that way? You, know, you can imagine. Some churches weren't completely with it. In fact, um, there's some stories in the book about sections of the church that accommodated to slavery. First they said, no, it's against, we shouldn't do it, it's against our preaching, teaching. But then they accommodated uh, to slavery. And great institutions, like the Ivy League College, the, the money for the Ivy League colleges, and those students have since created a movement around it. Brown University, uh, Harvard, uh, Yale, all, that, that money that, came, that they used to build those colleges came from slavery. And so the students were raising big protests, and then the demand for reparations uh, came up and so forth, and it remains a, a, an agitational point, I think. Um, but when people questioned the morality of it, they argued, well, you can't say that uh, we're mistreating them. Uh, they're not like regular people. They're not, they're not like us. They're not people. In fact, in the highest universities in this country, they taught the Teutonic theories, which were essentially only those of Germanic, European, uh, sort of Nordic kind of background, had the capacity to think on a high level and to rule this world, and they should. Other people who don't have that should not be considered equal to them. They taught that in the universities. Now, obviously, some people didn't go for it and challenged it. And among regular common people, like John Brown and other, well, in, the, in the abolition movement and so forth, they gave their life, you know, they, they dedicated their life to the overthrow of slavery. They saw it as moral bankruptcy. Um, they also saw that slavery was holding back the development of this country, which brings me to uh, the northern capitalists, who um, saw that we were an agricultural country, but we were moving towards an industrial and commercial country, and that the system of labor that's based on slavery was not suitable for that. And on top of that, they needed a national economy to be able to successfully exploit uh, the riches of this nation and, and, and build their wealth up and so on. And the slave companies, the slave owners wanted to move uh, to the West and, and all that, and uh, they, on the other hand, uh, wanted slavery 
to not spread. And there's another thing about cotton production. After, I think it's two cycles, it destroys the, the, the land. It takes the land a long time to recover. So they have to keep spreading in order to get a fruitful uh, crops. So, they, they, so spreading became their, their bread and butter. On the other hand, the northern capitalists were raising industrialists, really. They both were capitalists, believe me. <laughs> the plantation owners were capitalists. Uh, but the northern um, uh, industrialists were arguing you are really slowing down the, the process of development. And you know that there's some controversy about the uh, Revolutionary War. And we hear about Christmas, Christmas Adams. But the pain and anger and hurt of a uh, hundred years or more of slavery, when the slaves heard that the British were, had ended slavery and were coming in here to stop the Re American Revolution, happening, even though in terms of the sweep of history, ending colonialism was a good thing. But the fighters, but the, but the early uh, so-called founding fathers all had slaves. And they were not willing to challenge the uh, system of slavery uh, and make it a part of the making this an independent nation and getting rid of colonialism. So the British took advantage of that. And they told the slaves, if you leave your plantation and come to us, uh, we will liberate you. And some did. In some states, thousands of slaves left their plantation and ran to the British lines. I think some fought with the British. Gerald, Gerald is, 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 is sent me a little controversial thing about it recently, Gerald Horn, the guy right there, about um, how the British had abandoned slavery, the slave trade, and it was the American colonists fighting for equality, fighting for independence, that in fact uh, were defending slavery. But I think what it was in the main was the southern slaveholders did not want to take, did not want to end that system. Um, and it's also a fact that 5,000 uh, people of African descent, first they only allowed uh, freed blacks to uh, joined the uh, Revolutionary Armies, which was a kind of ragtag, you know, people's army. Although the people running the thing were merchants and wealthy people on, 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 on uh, both sides, actually. Uh, and um, 5,000 uh, uh, people of African descent participated in the, in the independent army, in the independent struggle. And, um, Many of them served with great distinction, as they did in the Civil War. And uh, there were some interesting cases uh, of, uh, of heroism, which, as I say, it's in the book. I was struck by one story um, about a woman named Deborah Chatham, Deborah Chatham, I think her name was, who Deborah Garnett, I'm sorry, yeah, Garnett, like the guy who plays for the Brooklyn. <laughs> Deborah Garnett, uh, who fought with distinction with the Revolutionary Army, was a great fighter, all the while she was disguised as a man. They didn't know she was a man. And turns out she was, uh, after I said she was of African descent, black woman. 
Ukraine's. Um, but the Revolutionary War, despite these contradictions, stirred up a lot of the spirit of liberty in the country. And all these great words, you know, uh, we the people, and uh, uh, what's that famous one? All men are created equal. All of those slogans were viewed on everybody's mind and talking about it, and here we were, we had slaves. What a disgrace. But people were pushing, including some of the so-called uh, early uh, fathers, uh, fathers of this nation, as they call them, Ben Franklin, Alexander Hamilton. Both of them belonged to the anti-slavery society eventually. And um, Benjamin Franklin actually argued that slavery, slave labor, was more expensive as compared to free wage labor, and he showed that slavery was a barrier to the growth of manufacturing, which is where things were heading towards. He also challenged the theory that Negroes were mentally inferior to whites. This is in this book, too. And of course, in 1959, slavery still waging, uh, we're heading for the Civil War, the battle in Congress between the North and the South, particularly about the spread of slavery, is fierce. In fact, you heard of the Missouri Compromise, I'm going to end in a minute, the Missouri Compromise, where there was this long fight, about three years they were arguing about what to do about Missouri. Obviously, Missouri was the key to them going to the West. And the Northern capitalists and the people didn't want them to spread slavery. And um, so they were against this. So they argued and argued, and the final solution was they could go so far into Missouri, one part would be slave, be have slavery, and the other part would not have slavery, be a non-slave state. Uh, but, but the southern plantation owners had dollar signs in their eye, you know, whatever the currency. And um, when they lost these battles in the Congress, that's when they started succeeding from the Union. And as a result, um, the split was gone. And the arguments that were taking place in the Congress, in the Revolutionary Constitutional Congress, <coughs> were now about to go into a real war. So, in 1861, uh, the South, in a very uh, unscrupulous way, uh, war is uh, decided to fire on Fort Sumner and there was a sneak attack, and they basically declared war. It was really an armed attempt to overthrow the new republic. It was a counter-revolution from the fight of the revolution. And it's, it's kind of what's interesting. They always accuse the, the left of doing stuff like this, you know. And really, the truth is that the coup, coup people, the people who do this stuff without history, have been the most reactionary. Uh, elements and these southern planters were that. Well, I'm almost done. I want to mention the spirit of John Brown. In 19 in 1859, John Brown and a band of I think it's about 15 of them went into Harper's Ferry in, in Virginia, which is now West Virginia, I think, and took over the armory in this town, and actually took over the town for a period of time. And they, their plan was to start a rebellion. By the way, they had, they had slaves 
uh, in their ranks. And uh, they had uh, his family, his sons, and really mainly farmers, you know, from Kansas, I think they came from, where they had big fights against the slaveholders. And they were now going to take over, and they were hoping that their action would cause a spontaneous rebellion among the slaves. When some places outnumbered the, the uh, farmers, the owners. And, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a noble idea. But as uh, Frederick Douglass, who's a good friend of John Brown, he spoke of going to visit John Brown in his house. And he said, John Brown was truly a decent man. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, I detected not one ounce of racial uh, hostility or ignorance among them. He made, I put my feet on his table. I was at home. As that's what Mr. Frederick Douglass said. But he also said that John Brown, he had heard about this thing, what was going to happen. He told John Brown that it's very courageous, but it's not going to win. He said it's not going to win. It's premature. It's not going to win. Well, they sent the National Guard in. They stood off, tried to hold them off for a while. And I actually went to Harper's Ferry. If you ever get a chance to go by, it's not far from D.C. It's amazing. It's like a federal park. And the library is full of left-wing literature. I don't know if they know it or not. <laughs> on John Brown, on Slave, on Du Bois, they got all this stuff in there. And it's cheap. Uh, but if you go there, you get the sense it's just this little place and this little barn where they defended themselves. And by the way, two of them escaped, including one guy, an African, African-American guy. He took off. He got up the mountain, got away. Another one got away. One, they went to Canada. But others were were killed, and John Brown was seriously wounded, you know. Eventually, he was hung, and a whole bunch of others were hung. And uh, it was a uh, defeat. But was it? Because uh, two years later, um, thousands of soldiers marched from the north to the south. What were they singing? John Brown's body lies a moment in the grave, but his truth keeps marching on. And in a sense, that act of martyrdom on his part. And by the way, there's this beautiful scene where he's on his way to the gallows. He's walking by, and there's this African-American woman with a child, and asked him, would you kiss my child? Okay. Yeah. And he did. And it's this beautiful moment. And the literature is very moving. And then he walks. To hang them. But the, the people, the slave, they weren't, they wanted something to happen. And it did, but it was not ready. But two years later, the Civil War kicked off. It was the longest and bloodiest war in our history. But ultimately, it was defeated. And Karl Marx had a debate with Frederick English. Karl Marx, who, whose view was that in this famous quote, capital, labor in the black, labor in the white skin can never be free as long as labor in the black skin is branded. That was his take on what was going on in the United States. And by the way, branded is exactly what they did. When they got to the West Indies, the first thing they did was put a hot iron on them to, to, to establish their uh, ownership. But uh, he said, and he wrote for the New York, I think it was called the Herald something. He wrote regular column. Huh? Herald Tribune. It was Herald Tribune. Okay. He wrote a, a wonderful column analyzing the Civil War, and he did it from England. He, wrote. he also 
And he, he had a debate going with Engels. And his debate with Engels, Engels said that the South, you know, the South and the North, the generals and the, and the high-ranking people, they all went to West Point. They knew each other. So, and he said the South had been more prepared for this war. They struck first. They are militarily superior to the North. The North is going to lose. And uh, Marx said, my dear friend, you are wrong. The North is going to win because they got history on their side. That stuff is going to die. Meantime, Marx spent his time on the, on the docks of Liverpool and London defending, uh, uh, organizing the workers not to accept goods from the slave-holding South, which is where they made a lot of their money going into England and so forth. Mm -hmm. And he organized this workers, uh, what was it called? Workers, um, it was a workers organization. But um, that was the father of uh, Marxism and, and of our party and communism and so forth. And that is a great, great tradition that in that period, the great turmoil and the difficulties that uh, he stood with the, on the right side of history. And that's what we do. Discussion, but I don't know if um if people want to grab like something to drink or, or I could bring the soda over here because I think we're kind of crunched for time. So if, if anybody wants something to drink, I, I can go grab it like the soda and stuff. Or, but um let's let's open up the floor if anyone has any questions or something like that. Frank, go ahead. I got a question. You know, I I, I knew that go ahead. So we never uh, went around the room. Oh yeah. Sure. Oh. You say who they are. Okay. 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 All right. So um. I guess when you want to start, you can start then. <laughs> so, just for everybody, in case you didn't hear, Del, why don't you say what Danny, Danny said? I don't okay, know. So we're gonna announce, announce. Um, hello. So everybody's gonna say, you know, kind of what your name is, um, how you gonna be up coming here today, that sort of thing. So I guess James, go first, man. Danny, see what Danny wants. So I'm James. Uh, I've been here for a few weeks now. 